Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 89 of the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and I'm super glad that you are tuning in today. Before we dive in, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor who is helping to make this show possible. Today's show is made possible by Green Up Box. Green Up Box is a subscription box on a mission. At Green Up, they empower individuals to reduce their use of plastic through bi-monthly subscription boxes and a plan they like to call Plastic Rehab. Plastic Rehab consists of six boxes that are curated around six major themes to make it easier for customers to redesign their lives without plastic. Join Green Up Box and say goodbye to plastic for good. Use the link in the show notes to shop Green Up Box today. Okay, friends, the wait is finally over. Last week, we got to hear for the first time from Raquel McLeod, who often gets told her story is like a Lifetime original movie. From experiences with trauma and abuse to an unplanned teen pregnancy, mixed in with stories of adoption and running away, and of course the romance that all sprung out of Taco Bell, you can probably see why. Well, today we're finally getting to hear the rest of that Lifetime original. I really wanted to have Raquel on the show, not just because her story is so wild, but also because it's from a perspective that we don't get to hear often enough, from the perspective of birth parents. It's taken a long time to find healing for all that she has gone through, but Raquel is determined to use her story to help others. I love that about her and respect her so much for it, and I'm so honored to help to get to share in that message. Today, we're talking about what Raquel's family looks like now and how her relationship with her birth daughter has changed over the years. We're also talking about some stereotypes of birth parents that Raquel encounters often and the ways in which she is being an advocate for birth moms, for body positivity, and ultimately just being super honest about the things she's struggling with, knowing that there's someone out there who can relate. Like I said, it's such an honor to get to carry this story for Raquel, and I'm so thankful that she endures the online hate that she gets, all so that she can share with us some of what she's learned along the way. You're going to love hearing from her again, but make sure you listen to part one that released last week first, in case you haven't yet. You're going to be very lost and confused if you don't listen to that one first, so go back and do that if you haven't. And also, don't forget about subscribing to the show and leaving a rating and a review. I'm donating money. Now is a great time to be generous with what we have. So I'm asking that you give me just a few minutes of your time to write a review so that I can give away money. I want to take a second and acknowledge someone who has taken the time to do just that. This review is from J Money. They said, superb. I'm going down and yelling timber. I want to swim in this amazing ear hole candy forever. Well done. Thank you, Jam Honey. I think that was a really unique review, but I appreciate it nonetheless. And I also always appreciate a good Kesha reference. So thank you for that. Reviews help more people to find the show and their positive affirmation for me. So again, please take the time to write one. All right, friends, here is part two of my conversation with Raquel. You and Casey got married and you started your own family together. So why don't you tell us about your kids and how they entered your family? Yes. So Casey and I fell in love. We got engaged. We got married. Mm -hmm. And I wanted a baby very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I mistakenly thought that if I had a child to parent, it would replace the ache of having placed my first for adoption. And so I was very, very adamant that we should start having children quickly. And Mm -hmm. it didn't take a whole lot of convincing for him. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, six months into marriage, we got pregnant with our first. So she is just weeks away from being 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, By the time she was, I would say, around two, we decided that we wanted more, and we tried for Mm -hmm. a year without any success, and uh, around that time, my father um, had a a girlfriend that he had gotten pregnant, and neither of them were really capable of being parents Mm -hmm. at that moment and so Casey and I stepped up and said you know let us help we'll take care of her while you guys get to a place that you know you can parent Mm -hmm. and a couple weeks turned into a couple months and a couple months turned into several years Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so we went through the motions of doing what we needed to do to make things legal, you know, to take care of, you know, appointments and, you know, social security cards and everything of that nature. We gained custody just like my grandparents had done with me, actually with the same lawyer that my grandparents had used Um, to get custody of me. So it's kind of funny to see that, you know, come full circle. Um, Mm -hmm. But she, it, it, it happened in fours. When she was four weeks old, she came to live with us full time. When she was four months old, we gained custody. And at four years old, we finalized her adoption. Mm -hmm. So our youngest daughter is biologically my half-sister, and Mm -hmm. she loves the shock value of that story (laughs) and loves to introduce herself to strangers with, hi, you know, I'm Coley, and I'm adopted, and my mom is actually my sister, but she's my mom. (laughs) <laughs> so and then I'm left like mouth agape like um yeah. great to meet you um yeah. <laughs> she's not lying but not how I expected to start this conversation <laughs> uh, that's so funny. and how old is she now she is just a couple weeks away from being nine okay and we actually since the last time we talked things have changed there too and we actually have our first visit with her birth mother and her birth mother's new family this weekend wow that will be the very first one ever since she was an infant oh my goodness how does she feel about that Um, you know I wish I knew um (laughs) she she won't talk about it um she mentions it and if I try to open the door to conversation I get shut down so Mm -hmm. I think she's excited and I think she's nervous and Mm -hmm. these are all just you know observations and assumptions until she will open up and talk about her own story with me I, Mm -hmm. I think it's different for every adoptee and it affects all of us in different ways. And some of us vocalize it. Some of us don't. Mm -hmm. We just want to make sure that she has a healthy, has a healthy foundation and knows that these are things that we talk about. They're normal in our home. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that you have to hide and you don't have to feel any amount of guilt for wanting to ask questions or talk about your beginnings or your Mm -hmm. biological family. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool to like, obviously, that wasn't necessarily your guys's plan, but that you can personally relate to her. So on so many levels and kind of use like what you would have changed about your story or about how it was handled and like apply that now. So Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Okay, so then you guys have your two daughters together and obviously your birth daughter, who I know because I follow you online, you do have a relationship with and you didn't have to wait till she was 21 or anything like that. So (laughs) what transpired with that? Like, because you just were kind of waiting, right? You were waiting till she turned 18 thinking like, I just have to bide my time, but that isn't what happened, is it? It's not what happened. And I'm glad. I hate that I missed so many years, but I'm also glad that it happened this way. It happened on her time and it Mm -hmm. was led by her desire to want to know me. So Mm -hmm. when she, it's, it's really funny to me. It feels like a God thing. The way the timing that it transpired was around the time, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, uh, my running from high school ministry for over a year until I felt Mm -hmm. like I couldn't run anymore. And a week after talking to the high school minister and agreeing to jump in, you know, head first Mm -hmm. and do high school ministry, a week later, I got a phone call from the adoption agency saying that my birth daughter's parents had contacted them and wanted to know if I'd be willing to have a visit. And to me, it just felt like that moment, like, you know, God has this great thing in store. And as soon as, you know, you're doing what you should be doing and you quit running from it, like, here's the blessing. So we 
she was nine at that time and we made our first visit. It was, you know, really formal and stiff, like meeting at the adoption agency because, you know, again, they didn't know who I was, who I had become, you know, if I was someone worth knowing, if I was safe for mm-hmm. their child to be around. And so, you know, the thing to do was to just meet at the adoption agency and go from there. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really funny. They said going on, on their way to meet, they, they told me this afterwards. They said that she had vocalized, what if she's had another baby and didn't tell us because I would get to send a package once a year of pictures and letters and things like that, gifts. Um, I would send Mm -hmm. it on her birthday every year. And her parents' response was, that's something she would have updated us on, you know. And then I show up carrying this tiny baby because, <laughs> at, you know, I now at this time I'm in charge of, you know, my little sister, uh, not uh-huh. knowing that we would later adopt her. But uh-huh. I show up with this baby in my arms and they're all just like, you know, mouth, <laughs> mouth wide open. And they tell me this story afterwards. And I was like, how funny is that? Like a child's intuition, like, what if, you know, and then yeah. it came true. But we were able to make it a two-day get-together, and it went from, you know, meeting in the adoption agency to, you know, we went to a park for the kids to play, and we went out to dinner, and it felt like each time we got together, it felt a little more natural, a little less, you know, overwhelming or scary, I guess Mm -hmm. is the word, because really it is, Mm -hmm. it's scary at first, Mm -hmm. and I believe it was actually the second year. No, it would have been the first when we were at the playground and the kids were playing and I was just standing by our mom talking and just thanking her for the opportunity. And at that time I vocalized, you know, I didn't think that I would have this opportunity until she was 18. And she looked at me really confused and was like, you could have visited every year. It was in, it was in the papers that you know, we could get together once a year, every year. I thought you knew and just, you know, wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And she said, we reached out because she, you know, she wouldn't quit asking. And we told her, you know, the most we can do is reach out and it's up to you. And I was like, no, all these years, I thought that it wasn't an option until she mm-hmm. turned 18. And so it just goes to show that a lot of times I think the disconnect in an adoption relationship is lack of communication because everyone's too afraid. Everyone's mm-hmm. too afraid to hurt feelings and not for any ill intentions. I mean, sometimes there are, you know, jealousy or things of that nature, but a lot of times it's the adoptive family not wanting to dredge up trauma or you know, put something on you that you're not ready for, or the birth family not wanting to step on toes or ask for more than they feel like they deserve. And then the adoptee who Uh is often too young to vocalize, or when they get to an age to vocalize, they're afraid of hurting their parents' feelings with their own questions Uh about their birth family and origins. And so it's just this continual loop of miscommunication or no communication and that's when you end up with these stories of well I thought you well no I thought you and Mm -hmm. so that's that's exactly what happened in our case um Mm -hmm. it was just lack of communication Mm-hmm. And for you too, like being so young and, and whether or not other birth moms are young or not, but even just like a laugh, lack of experience with dealing like with a contract of some kind and in most cases, probably not having money to like afford a lawyer who can like help them navigate this whole process. Like they're just relying on whatever agency they're working with to tell them what to do yes. or what not to do too. So it's like just with your lack of experience it makes sense that that would be your assumption. And um, I feel like a lot of whether or not they're young, but just because of their life experiences, I'm sure a lot of birth moms have been in that too, where they just didn't even understand fully what they were signing up for and what their rights were and and that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And 
I think there's a big push. There's been books published about corrupt adoption agencies and mm. there's all there's all this information available now. 18 years ago, that wasn't the case. And adoption agencies very much kept the birth mothers in the dark. And I think it was intentional. You know, basically we were a means for them to make their money. And mm-hmm. once you delivered, that was it. There was mm-hmm. no, I, I wouldn't even know how to go about it, but I know that as a birth parent, you should be offered lifetime therapy because it affects oh. you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get that. I didn't get yeah. a, a week of it, let alone, you know, a lifetime yeah. of it. And just that follow-up care to, to address everything from, and again, not all birth mothers are as young as I was or mm-hmm. even minors for that matter, but mm-hmm. it does happen and it's more mm-hmm. frequent than people assume. And at 15 years old, the way that motherhood changes your body physically, that was traumatic to walk mm-hmm. into this age of, you know, this this adolescent age that's already so difficult on especially females and how their bodies change. But then to walk into that having experienced motherhood, mm-hmm. pregnancy, and how that changes your body, man, the shame that I carried with that, that even just to, you know, I think sit in a therapy session and have another woman say, you know, that's normal. I didn't think it was normal. I didn't know that pregnancy gave you stretch marks like it gave me. And mm-hmm. I, I literally thought that, you know, I was this oddball walking around and kids my age didn't understand it because kids my age weren't having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so even, I, I don't know, there's so many layers that come with teen pregnancy that come with adoption that come with walking through life as a birth parent that you don't ever consider you know I didn't I didn't Mm -hmm. consider having to question what my answer would be if someone said how many children do you have like Mm -hmm. do how many do I tell them do I do I just count the ones that I'm parenting like that feels like that feels wrong but then if I include all of them Am I going to have to explain adoption mm-hmm. to this person? Like things like that would be super helpful to sit down and be prepared for with someone that mm-hmm. knows how to help you navigate. Not that I needed someone to give me the answers, but someone to say at some point in your life, someone's going to ask you how many kids you have and you have to decide if you're comfortable sharing that story with them, you know, consider how you'll respond. Or even, you know, they talk about adoption as a triad because, you know, the triangle, it affects the adoptee, the birth parents and the adoptive parents. No one talks about everyone else that it's going to affect deeply, like Mm -hmm. your future relationships, your future Mm -hmm. children. My kids experience trauma on their own level from having a sibling that was placed for adoption that they are now close with, but don't ever get to live with or grow up with or, Mm. you know, things of that nature. And then even my husband has always felt that awkward. Like he loves this child. He didn't Mm -hmm. father her, but he loves her. And where does he fit into this equation? You know? So it affects so, so many more people than just the three that, are generally recognized in the triad. And again, those are great things to talk about in therapy that they didn't offer Mm -hmm. for women like me, for girls like me. Yeah. So interesting. And so what kind of then happened after that visit? You guys continued your relationship after that? Absolutely. So after the initial visit, and I guess it was kind of discovered that I wasn't crazy. Um, you know, cause you got to <laughs> imagine that's part of the, you know, like, okay, we're going to do this once, but depending, you know? Um, so it became a yearly visit up until she was 16. And at 16, we were traveling full time at that point, And we actually landed a job very close to her hometown. And of course, she was driving at this point, and we had built years of trust, and they knew that, mm-hmm. you know, 
our intentions were for her to have a safe, healthy, happy experience when she was with us. You know, we weren't going to do anything crazy. And I know like it probably sounds super cringy to say, but I think in the back of the, in the back of the mind of every adoptive parent has to be, well, if we let her go with them, is she going to want to be with them more than us? Or Mm -hmm. would they try to leave with her? Like just all these concerns because there is this fear around birth parents because it's really new like for Mm -hmm. children to have a relationship with their birth parents it's kind of Mm -hmm. a new concept so anyway by the time she was 16 you know they had a good feel for us and with us living so close for throughout that job it was the first time we had been able to see her more than two days out of the year because we've always lived so far apart it was always a vacation thing and we would get to see her for two days once a year that was our visit and so this time here we are close and she was coming over to spend the night and she was dropping in with her friends and introducing me to you know her girlfriends and Mm -hmm. it was just a really neat experience and the first time that we got to really bond and have more than just two days to fit in an entire year you know Mm -hmm. of catching up And so that was when she was 16 and it was really great. And then we got a job that was still, it was a few hours away, but close enough to drive in for a special occasion. And so I was asked if I would take her prom pictures. And so I got to, that was, yeah, that was a really Mm -hmm. cool experience coming from someone who was afraid that I would never get to see this child, you know, again, to I'm now the photographer for her prom. Um, Mm -hmm. it was really incredible. So I got to be a part of that. And then she really surprised us. We were on a winter layoff in Michigan and she has this wonderless spirit about her Mm -hmm. and totally surprised us and asked if we were going to be busy on this certain day. And I was like, no, why? And she's like, well, I need you to pick me up from the airport. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. And so she actually flew in to stay for a few days while we were in Michigan. So she got to experience like a ridiculously cold winter. And (laughs) (laughs) that is actually the moment that my account went viral and blew up. Right. Um, I've been sharing this story for years. I've been talking about being a birth mother for years. Like it's no mm-hmm. new information. I just, you know, reels are the new thing. Like it's Instagram competing with TikTok, mm-hmm. and I just made a reel about her coming in to surprise us because I had, I had, I don't know, maybe three, 4,000 followers at the time. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like this intimate space. They all knew that, you know, I had a birth daughter and I just said, I have a big surprise coming in this weekend and I'll share it with you guys later. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the week off to just be present. And so Mm -hmm. I just made a reel of, you know, us embracing in the airport and her surprise, like we didn't tell the girls our girls that we parent, we didn't tell them. So it was a big surprise to them. And so just their reaction when they walked out of the camper and saw her. And so I just, I pieced all that together and just put some words over it, like how important that moment was to me and how I'm, you know, at 14 years old, I never thought that this is what my life would look like. Like, it just seemed so bleak then. And Mm -hmm. um, to be living this, like, this is everything to me was essentially like the verbiage and all of a sudden, like it started getting shared and reshared and reshared and reshared. And at one point I I was like, and it didn't happen the day that I posted it. It was like a week later. And I remember realizing this may be going viral. And so I actually text, <laughs> I text her and I was like, so that video I posted is getting a lot of attention. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'll delete it. And she's like, no, this is the coolest thing ever. Let it keep going. I'm so happy. (laughs) She's like, I'm going viral. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So then she was keeping up with it more than I was. And I just remember her texting. She's like, you're going to hit a million views. And I'm like, uh, you know, like, calm down. No, I'm not. And then I wake up the next morning with, like, all caps, like, we hit a million views. <laughs> and it just kept going from there. It, I don't, it's somewhere over 11 million views at this point. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that, that brought a lot of criticism with it. I was yeah. not... <laughs> fully aware um just how much criticism would come from my happy video but it did but yeah so that since then let's see oh yes i'm trying to like go through my head like okay what <laughs> happened next uh -huh. um, <laughs> the coolest thing is i got invited to her graduation Oh, yeah. And that was the last really cool thing that I got to do. We had seen each other in, I think it was January or February that she flew out. And then she was, uh, it was like two or three weeks before her graduation. She was like, okay, so I got a ticket. Mm -hmm. And I know it's really short notice, but if you can make it, I would really love for you to be at graduation. So, yeah, I got to drive out by myself. The first time I've ever done anything like this by myself, I got to drive out. It was an 11 and a half hour drive. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I got to watch her graduate. And it was just, man, just sitting there next to her boyfriend with her family, <laughs> a lot of family members that I hadn't ever met in person. Oh, yeah. And everyone was the kindest and they were like, I'm, you know, I'm so happy. Like I never once, like there was this fear, like, you know, I had met her parents so many times. I'd met her boyfriend so many times, but to meet mm -hmm. extended family, aunts and uncles and cousins, and just yeah. the fear of being the outsider, you know, yeah, like totally. the one that is there because she wants me there, but does everyone want me there, you know, and it wasn't like that at all. Like it felt so natural and comfortable and everyone was so kind and made me feel welcome. And like, I belonged in that moment just as much as they did. And mm -hmm. it, I don't know, just to sit and ponder that, to sit and reflect on this scared 14-year-old and this, you know, traumatized 15-year-old and this hopeless child that felt like I would never get to meet my birth daughter again and then to be mm -hmm. sitting at her graduation, you know, mm -hmm. to have her phone number, to, you know, text every day, like these moments that felt so out of reach and so unobtainable it's it's just surreal to mm -hmm. to know the level that uh we get to be connected at this point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes that's right it's so so special so neat and I feel like as you describe like how amazing she is and how great your relationship is now I feel like that might cause some people to wonder like well do you ever regret it then like do you regret placing her in adoption like do you ever wish like man I wish I had just kept her for myself and didn't have to miss out on any of the time like do you ever have those thoughts I'd be lying if I said no mm -hmm. I want to say no I want to mm -hmm. say that I know without a shadow of a doubt that I did what was right mm -hmm. and at the end of the day I do know that I did what was right and I do yeah. know that our relationship wouldn't be what it is had I not placed for adoption. Mm -hmm. um, but my husband likes to remind me, he's a big movie buff. And he was like, if you go back and change one thing about the past, it affects everything in the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to hold on to that because it's really easy to kind of drown in those thoughts of what if, but I think it's absolutely true because if I would have chose to parent, I would have been either in a really toxic home environment or homeless. And that would have affected how I parented. That would have affected how she grew up, which mm -hmm. would have affected her personality. There's just so many things that could have went horribly wrong. Totally. Um, and so it's, it's nice to think of, you know, this fairy tale world of, you know, if everything could be exactly like it is today and I got to parent, you know, would I? Absolutely. Like, I can't think of any 
biological mother that would give up that opportunity. But at the end of the day, I know that it wouldn't have all been the same. Mm -hmm. And it would have produced two very different people than the two Mm -hmm. that have built a relationship today. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I really appreciate your honesty there because I think, yeah, it's possible that you know it was the right decision, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't change it if you could. Like, I think that's a really honest answer. So what else is there that like people might assume about you as a biological mother or um, your family dynamic or anything like that? Is there anything else that you want people to know, whether it's about you or the kids in your home or your biological daughter or just whatever it is, like any other like stereotypes or misconceptions that you feel like are common from the comments you see online or just like maybe things that people don't generally know that you want to educate people on? Absolutely. Um, So one of the reoccurring, I guess, stereotypes that I get faced with is basically the, the thought that birth parents are no good or Mm -hmm. don't deserve to have a spot in their child's life in the future. Mm And I've encountered this in person before people realize, because like I had said earlier, my youngest loves to lead with, hey, I'm adopted. You know, that's how she likes to introduce mm-hmm. herself to new people, which, you know, lets people automatically know that I'm an adoptive mother who then feel mm-hmm. that they have the right to make a comment about, you know, for instance, one time this exact same scenario happened and the lady goes, I don't know how any woman could do that. And I was like, well, I can tell you. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the look on her face when I shared that I was also a birth mom and I had chose to place a child for adoption. And it was just like, I don't know that I can get my foot out of my mouth to respond was basically the look on her face. um, (laughs) Because... (laughs) you know it's definitely one of those moments no one wants to walk into like oh crap Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's just so many stereotypes surrounding a birth mother as being this incredibly irresponsible human being and sometimes that's the case sometimes irresponsibility played a big part in why you found yourself in a situation where you can't parent but once the video went viral, I was called a lot of derogatory names and had a lot of assumptions made about how a 14-year-old might end up pregnant. And when someone really, really was just being snarky and didn't care to know, my favorite go-to response is, oh, well, sex. You didn't know that? That's that's how everyone gets pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for the people that felt, I felt like they truly were curious or interested, you know, how a 14 year old ends up pregnant. I am very upfront in saying I don't share every piece of my story for different reasons. And it's no one's business how I ended up pregnant at 14. Mm -hmm. But I really like to remind people that one in four women will have experienced sexual abuse before the age of 18. And a lot of times the sexual abuse goes undetected because mm-hmm. the the child is afraid to report it. Aside from, you know, violent sexual abuse, there is grooming, which I like to talk about a lot. And a lot of people don't understand the difference between sexual abuse and grooming. And there's a big difference. And mm-hmm. I, I like to be vocal on that there's incest and then there is also nonviolent sexual abuse because on average children are exposed to porn by the age of nine which means from nine up they have this really poor idea of what a healthy sexual relationship is and that's what leads a lot of young teens into tricky situations and sexual encounters and experiences before they're mentally or emotionally ready because they've been coerced or talked into it or even feel like they want it because they've been exposed to porn culture for so long. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different reasons why Mm -hmm. a young girl may end up pregnant, but none of them are because she's a slut or a whore, which is what I hear a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to make those quick, fast assumptions that, mm-hmm. you know, you're just the product of some bad choices. But the truth of the matter is there's almost always a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And I know we, we've been talking mostly about like minors, but that's even the case that something you shared with me was that's even the case for older women too, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I forget statistic wise the exact age, but the average age of a birth mother is not 14, 15, 16. It's somewhere in the 20s. Um, mm-hmm. And women in their 30s have chose mm-hmm. to place a child for adoption as well for all kinds of extenuating circumstances. I can't speak on those. My experiences, teen pregnancy and being in a position where it wasn't, you know, safe or fair to mm-hmm. raise my child. Right. But I have spoke to, to women who were older and that was the best choice. And it was breaking from as heartbreaking as it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, having that video go viral, I've had at this point hundreds of conversations with birth mothers, some of them in their 50s and 60s that reached out to me and said, I've never spoken with another birth mother ever. Mm-hmm. Yours is the first mm-hmm. content I've seen on social media that said, hey, I'm a birth mom. And I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for trying to help normalize this relationship. And mm-hmm. a lot of women live in that place of shame and then also isolation for most of their life just because of the criticism that comes with saying, hey, I'm a birth mom. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's so tough and it's so heartbreaking because hopefully like as it becomes more normalized, especially with platforms like yours, people become more comfortable talking about it. But it is really sad to think that there are so many like isolated women out there even if like you think you know the story, like you don't, you know, even if you're the adoptive parent, like you don't know the full story probably. And so I feel like what you share just enables a lot of like compassion and empathy, which is probably what a lot of birth moms need. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Another thing that you share online is about like language with adoption. And that's something that I've learned from you. And even earlier in the interview, I said like gave gave her up for adoption. And then I remembered what you shared online of like, no, that's not the correct language. And I was like, I mean, place her for adoption. And so that's something that you've taught me that there's some language to be sensitive to there. And I guess, do you want to share like why that's important to you? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think words are important. And I like to say that there's power of life and death in the tongue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we can speak life or we can speak death. And words just seem to trigger people. I mean, it's really, honestly, for any group of people, there's words that if you want to be respectful, you avoid. And so for anyone in an adoptive relationship, whether it's the, you know, birth parents, the biological parents or the adoptee, certain language is almost like a trigger and it makes you feel like what you are or what you've done is undervalued or Mm -hmm. misunderstood. And so to replace gave up with placed is a big one within the adoption community. And then real is a big trigger for others we don't use the term real, you know, like when we're talking to our daughter, I'm not her real mom. Her biological mother is not her real mom. It's Mm -hmm. biological or adoptive or birth or first, like those are all interchangeable, but it's like, we're all real, you know, Her, her birth mom is real and loved her. We're all real. It just makes it, seem as if one of the parties isn't and you know so that's offensive to everyone involved and at this point I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of adoptees too because when that reel went viral it didn't just attract birth moms it attracted a lot of adoptees um, Mm -hmm. and and, um, adoptive parents Mm -hmm. who were just wanting to learn more about you know all sides And um, the adoptees 
are very adamant about the term real and how much they hate when, if they share that they're adopted, someone will say, Mm -hmm. well, do you know your real parents? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, the parents that raised me are my real parents, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think, important to be mindful of, and, you know, to be honest, we actually just watched Cruella last night with the kids for like our family movie night. And even, you know, um, I don't want to, I don't know. Am I allowed to say anything? It's a new movie. It's going to give it away for someone. I don't want to. I don't want to. Spoiler alert. Okay. You you fast forward if you don't like this. Yes. Yes. Um, But when Cruella discovers that she had been adopted, she Mm -hmm. refers to who she discovers is her biological mother as her real mother so like it's still happening like it's not this isn't like outdated terminology Mm -hmm. this is a brand new released movie Mm -hmm. and she uses the term (laughs) yeah yeah you know so and and it's some like it again like it's something that I've been able to distance myself from and not be offended by it I understand that a lot of it's just lack of education because not everyone is so closely affected by adoption but some people aren't able to to make that distinction and you know they're just hurt and offended but I try to use it as you know a teachable moment like you know Mm -hmm. this is what we say instead and this is why yeah definitely that's really cool that you do that though because we need that like like I said I didn't know until I read your post about it I was like ah good to know you know (laughs) so thank you for sharing that and then we're getting close to time I don't want to keep you all day here but uh you obviously share a lot of other things online like we talked about that earlier you're very vulnerable you're willing to share personal information about your life what are some in in case anyone's listening they don't follow you right now what are some of the other things that you're really passionate about sharing on online oh yeah um so body positivity is a big one for me um like Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier I was 14 years old and a relatively small frame and I gained over 50 pounds during pregnancy and uh my body what not my whole body, but my stomach was absolutely covered in stretch marks. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen a body like mine represented. And I just thought that it was really abnormal. I thought that, you know, that must have happened because I was so young that it just the pregnancy was not supposed to affect a person's body that way. And I would have to live in shame for the rest of Mm -hmm. my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I come to discover that that's not true. And I didn't get out of my own shell until I started following body positive accounts on Instagram that made me realize that my body was normal, that that's Mm -hmm. just how motherhood affected me or how pregnancy affected me. And so I went from when my husband and I had got together and I told him what my stomach looked like, but I wouldn't show him for over a year of being (laughs) together. I wouldn't let him look at my stomach. Mm -hmm. And I was that terrified. Again, we all deal with toxic things throughout our life. The only other person I had showed was a elderly family member. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but Mm -hmm. I showed this person my stomach and said, you know, how embarrassed I was. And I was probably 15 or 16 at the time. And her response was, maybe that will remind you to keep your legs closed. Oh, my gosh. And so I was, yeah, not really the response I was looking for. And so after that point, like my like I had complained about it enough that my older sister was like, well, let me see. It's I'm sure it's not, you know, as bad as you're making it out to be. Let me see. And I'm like, um, no. And Mm -hmm. so it went from that to I felt so empowered by seeing other bodies that looked similar to mine that I posted a picture of my stomach and talked about this. And it got such a great response. And I was honestly bracing myself for the ooh gross, you know, cover that Mm -hmm. up. And that has come, but it didn't come until much later um, when my account got bigger. But so I became really passionate about sharing just the postpartum body because it doesn't look the same on all of us and just normalizing 
a woman's body. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to be immodest to, you know, and everyone has a different idea of what modesty is, but I'm not saying that I have to post nude on my social media to normalize the female body, but I've, I've really felt a lot of confidence in showing up in a bikini letting my husband take a picture and posting it for the world to see. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a lot healthier than hiding under layers of clothes, you know, for Mm -hmm. the sake of modesty or hiding a body that's less palatable than what social media really adores. Mm -hmm. Um, So that has been a passion project of mine, I guess you could say. Yeah. I talk a lot about mental health because it's something that I've struggled with. Um, Mm -hmm. throughout life from anxiety to depression. I talk about that a lot and just try to not only normalize talking about it, but also raise awareness that healing mental health has to be one intentional on your part, but then also recognizing that it comes from a place of privilege to seek help. Um, Mm -hmm. It isn't accessible to everyone. I've not Mm -hmm. been to a therapist since I was 17 years old because it was a lot cheaper to buy alcohol or cigarettes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up every time an adult was smoking a cigarette hearing, you know, I'm just so stressed out. I'm just so stressed out. And so I was like, oh, I'm stressed out. So I'll just keep smoking my cigarettes and, you know, (laughs) have a drink on the weekend Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm good to go. And now being a parent and having a child that suffers with extreme anxiety and some other emotional traumas and seeking out therapy for her. The first time we sought therapy, we had insurance and none of them took insurance. It was all cash only. And you're looking at a hundred dollars a visit, one visit a week. Like that's a lot of money. So realizing that, you know, this whole movement, mental health matters. It does. Mental health absolutely does matter, Mm -hmm. but it can matter all at once. But if there's not any type of resources for those who need the help, it doesn't matter how much it matters, you know, if you're not making it accessible. So that has been something heavy on my mind that I talk about a lot. Basically, I have no niche or niche. Mm -hmm. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I don't know Mm -hmm. what's right. I talk about real life, like in the moment, what's going on and what feels pertinent to me. I talk about, you know, talking to your kids about sex and not just the talk, like it needs to be an ongoing talk because as they age and grow, their questions change and they need to be aware of tricky people and grooming and inappropriate touches. And they need to be equipped to protect themselves because this was such a theme throughout my life, I have felt like it's really important to equip our kids to know and to be put in a position that they can protect themselves better and be aware. Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about that. I talk about parenting in general, like Mm -hmm. as much as I love being a mother, I am a stay at home homeschooling mom that travels full time is never around family. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm all there is 24 seven, and it can be overwhelming. And I think we're almost afraid to say that it's overwhelming, because someone might perceive that you don't love your kids or appreciate the opportunity to stay home or, you know, all these things. But there's got to be some kind of normalization of expressing our feelings without being judged on face value, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just like to talk about the hardships of motherhood without, you know, my kids are at this age now that I really need to respect their wishes and what gets shared. So a lot of the stuff that we walk through and I ask, you know, Hey, can I talk about this? I've been told no. And I respect that. And I don't, um, some things are just have to be left for a phone call to my sister. And, (laughs) um, But I just, I I don't know. Honestly, it's just showing up in the moment, sharing what I'm experiencing. I can only share from one perspective, and that's my own. And 
nine times out of 10, there's someone else who is experiencing something similar and just needs a little relatability. And I know what it feels like to feel alone and isolated in your struggles. And I don't, I don't want to perpetuate that for someone else. If I can offer a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and just say, you know, whether I have an answer or not, just, you know, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I talk yeah. with my hands a lot too. So I guess it's, this is audio because it's just like. <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you. Yeah, it's great. I lo- like I've, I've said before, I love following along with you. And even though I can't relate to a lot of what you post, I just love it. And I know that so many people can. And I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability, right? And so you inspire other people to be more open, whether it's online or just with people they need to be open with. So I think it's really cool. And you, as you said at the beginning, you're an artist and your feed is like very aesthetically pleasing too, which I love to look at. Like I love seeing the artwork you create and the graphics that are really informative and you're just doing all kinds of cool things. So I love following along. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. And thank you for dealing with the online hate and just being able to still be vulnerable, even when people aren't kind, because I know that can't be easy, but okay. So if you had to pick a main message that you want listeners to walk away with today, what would that be? That hope and healing are worth fighting for. And it's not going to just fall into your lap. You have to be intentional in pursuing it. I feel like there's been several points throughout my life that it would have been a lot easier to just roll over and give up. And that's not to say that I never have bad moments or still battle seasons of depression or crippling anxiety, but it is to say that I'm mindful and intentional and I still choose hope and I still choose to walk toward healing because at the end of the day, despite circumstances, we get to choose if we let them define us or if we rise above them. Such a good message. Okay. Before I let you go, a few fun wrap up questions. What is the most impactful book that you've read? Ooh, I'm so ready for this one. (laughs) I can't wait to share. I'm stoked. Okay. So I'm not sure if this makes me cool or the opposite, but the recommendation actually came from my 12 year old and she, (laughs) I know, I know. Okay. Let me preface this with, she reads above grade level. (laughs) So it is considered like, um, youth literature. However, the message Mm -hmm. is phenomenal and there, there's a little bit of language in it, but it's not like terrible and it's not, you know, just like high school drama. It's called, I'm just get. I got to give like the big lead up. This book is incredible, <laughs> um, but it's called 100 Days of Sunlight by Abby Edmonds. Abby, <laughs> I should have probably known that. I'm not really That's good okay. at memorizing authors. Um, Abby something. I'll link it in the show notes. People will be able to find it. Perfect. It. So <laughs> my kiddo read it three times and was like, mom, uh-huh. you have to read this book. And I was like, well, if it's that good, okay. So whenever I went to the beach to my kiddo's graduation, I took it with me and I laid on the beach and got sunburned while I read because I got so engrossed in it. Like, <laughs> I have no idea how many hours I was there, but I read over half the book just laying mm-hmm. in the sun. But she's right. Like, it's this incredible book. And the theme of it is hope despite the circumstances to choose to put one foot in front of the other, despite your circumstances. And I mean, it is just absolutely incredible. So I would say that one tops my list um, Mm -hmm. these days. And then an older, I I really love memoirs. I don't read any fiction books. Mm -hmm. I just, it's not my thing. Okay. That's a lie. We read (laughs) the green ember. (laughs) I'm, now I'm remembering all these great books. We read the Green Ember <laughs> series as a family, which is really um, geared toward a younger audience, but it was still a really good book or series of books, um, Green Ember. But then the other memoir that's coming to mind is Glass Castle. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, really impactful. And again, like it's it's that theme of overcoming circumstances you know Mm -hmm. it does it for me that's just that's the thing that does Mm -hmm. it for me Mm -hmm. you know overcoming circumstances yeah I love that great recommendation (laughs) 
What about you said you might not have anything for this, but I do know you guys like your your family movie Sunday days. So yeah. anything that you've watched or listened to recently that you want to recommend? Ooh, let's see. We watched Blue Miracle, I believe was the name of it. And the okay. so my memory is horrible. My family knows this about me. I do have a highlight reel on my Instagram that gives a review of all the movies that we watched, but I believe the name of it was Blue Miracle and it's based on a true story. Super inspirational. The theme, if you want to take a wild guess, <laughs> overcoming <laughs> circumstances. Yes, that was the theme of that movie. Totally incredible. And then my all-time favorite that we actually introduced our kids to a few months back is Secondhand Lions, old movie. Don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's good. It's really okay. good. All right, um, noted. Yep. So yeah, that would be a favorite one of mine to recommend. Okay. Okay, cool. And last but not least, what about a brand or a product that you're loving lately? Ooh, any citrus-scented essential oil. Like, we uh-huh. we use essential oils for everything. And just, um, I've had, uh, actually, today's the first good day that I've had in at least a week. Like, uh-huh. I just came out of, like, a depressive episode. And just one of those moments where it felt like everything was blah and uh, we use essential oils for, for everything. Um, okay. We diffuse it, we put it on our body and I don't know, I know people are super peculiar about their brands and everybody knows that it's always like doTERRA against young living. But yeah. honestly, I signed up to be like a young living rep, but I don't rep stuff. Well, I don't sell things. (laughs) I don't make money doing that. Um, Uh and I honestly, I don't have a preference. I even, I use now and I've heard a lot of good things about plant therapy. I just think Mm -hmm. researching the brands, finding a quality product. And I truly believe in the, the holistic benefit of using essential oils. So yeah, very cool. Me too. I love essential oils. So good <laughs> yes. recommendations. Okay. Now we've obviously talked about your social media platform and everything. And I highly recommend that people follow along with you. And I meant to say, I loved the little video that you did recently, the tween talk. That was super fun. Oh, um, thank you. That, I love the trivia part. That was, I was laughing out loud <laughs> when you asked your daughter what a VHS was and she looked like, <laughs> I have never heard of such a thing. <laughs> I was cracking up. That was so funny. But yeah, how can people find you if they want to follow along? So I've tried my hand at every platform. And honestly, the only one you're really going to find me on is Instagram. And yeah. it's <laughs> at McLeod Life. And it's where I'm active. And then I have a website that I blog on. And I have like a storefront on. And it's McLeodLife.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, some of your artistic endeavors you can purchase, right? Yeah, yeah. I just launched a lot of stickers that are really (laughs) geared toward, you know, hope and light Mm -hmm. and overcoming circumstances. Yeah. Um, That's kind of the theme of most of the designs. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I also do like, so I went to college for a bit for graphic design. And so finally trying to put that to good use and I do logo designs and things of that nature cool yeah all right well I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes people can connect with you because I'm sure they're gonna want to follow along with what you're doing like I said I think you're such an inspiration and I love hearing about your story. So thank you for taking the time again to come on (laughs) and share with me and with everyone listening. I, yeah, like I said, I just love what you're doing. I'm a huge fan and love the way that you're advocating for so many different people. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for being vulnerable with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Mary Lou Kanecki once wrote, There isn't anyone you wouldn't love if you could read their story. That quote is written on Raquel's website and it rings so true here. Raquel has to deal with a lot of online haters and critics, but if they knew the whole story, they would admire her and what she has been through as much as I do. 
That's why it's so important to remember not to assume things, to have compassion, and also that we can rise above our circumstances if we choose to fight for it. Such important messages we can learn from her and her crazy story, so I highly recommend you start following along. Check her out on Insta, check out her stickers, and be encouraged. She is currently on a break from social media, which I love and I think we all need once in a while, but you can still follow along and check out her page whenever you do need some encouragement. The links to do all that are in the show notes, as well as the link to shop Green Up Box, and the show notes are available on whatever app or website you're using to listen or on my website, heartfelthippie.com. While you're there, don't forget about leaving a review for the show so that more people can find it and also subscribing. Subscribing is important so that you know when the next episode is available. It's free and easy to do and I won't spam you. It just ensures that you get every new episode. Next week, I'm having some of my youngest guests ever on the show and we had so much fun discussing the business they're creating to help make secondhand shopping easier for people. Such a fun conversation. So don't forget to tune back in then. You won't want to miss it. Until next time, remember to listen for the full story before you assume things about people. Remember that hope and healing are worth fighting for and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.